Welcome to the Enlightened Musician Podcast, a podcast all about the music business and learning how to turn your art into an equally successful business, flipping the mentality of a starving artist into a profitable, sustainable career. Each week, we will interview someone that is excelling in their field and talk tips and tricks on how you can implement that for yourself. Because honestly, how can you know what you don't know until you've been enlightened? Welcome to another episode of the Enlightened Musician Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Light, and today we have a special guest. Born in Toronto, Canada, Jack Panic is a musician, writer, and digital marketing guru with an honorary PhD in debauchery, most notably an ex-member of Canadian post-hardcore group Sparrows. Jack currently performs with Saint Yesterday and co-hosts the podcast series, I Have $100, I Can Do Whatever I Want, with Julian DeGrosso and Aaron Fuller. So you're in for a treat. We're going to dive into his life. And we're also going to talk a little bit about how you can get a sponsorship. So take out a pen and paper and get some notes. And yeah, let's get started. All right, you guys, I'm so excited today to have a new guest on. His name is Jack. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. Appreciate yeah, it. And I love it. And I'm, I'm loving that he's on too, because he has his own podcast as well. So I feel like this is going to be a fun dialogue with someone that, you know, already knows the whole entire podcast game. So I just want to get the audience familiar with you. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of telling them about your backstory, kind of where you came from and how you got to where you're at. For sure. I know uh, know. when it comes to what I do, uh, I guess technically I was a musician once upon a time before uh, (laughs) all the uh, the COVID and pandemic stuff happened. But um, yeah, when it comes to sort of how I got my start, I was uh, just a kid, 15 years old, you know, playing guitar and whatnot. And I enjoyed uh, it enough that I started a band and we started playing a lot of shows, you know, the usual little basement shows and dive shows, but we were very punky and didn't really know how to play very well. And I guess it was entertaining for some people because um, we got picked up with a, a touring agent who wanted to put us on a couple of tours with some bigger bands. And that sort of kicked off our um, first taste of what it could be like to be an actual career musician. So yeah. from there, I jumped into it full time. I uh, was going to university for business initially. That was the idea. And then uh, when I was 16, I decided that um, rather than waste my time pushing towards a field that I wasn't going to do, uh, I decided to focus full time on music. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for everyone. I would always recommend having a fallback, but uh, it did end up working out nicely. And uh, from there, I proceeded to bounce around to a few bands and I've had the opportunity to tour all over uh, the continent and do some really fun stuff. So it's been uh, it's been a cool, cool journey the entire time. I know. And did you have any I know I was reading on some of your backstory. Did you have any um, cool experiences or signings with other bands while you were doing all that period of time as well? Uh, I was with my uh, the band that I started St. Yesterday for <clears throat> years, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm still with that band. The. I've had opportunities to work with everyone under the sun, uh, pop bands and country bands. Um, wow. You know, when when you're doing music as a, a career, you do a bit of everything, right? You yeah, can, I know. You can do it as a, a hobby and just play on Fridays or something, or you can, you know, dive headfirst and do it every day and do whatever you can. If you if you really enjoy music, I think you tend to do anything you can get your hands on, right? It's nice to expand. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess the other band that I uh, I toured a lot with was a band called Sparrows. They were uh, po- post-hardcore, very shouty, angry music. Um, <laughs> we did a lot of American touring. That was with uh, Dynalone Records or um, uh-huh. 
new damage records here in Toronto. And uh, yeah, we actually uh, had a decent amount of success doing that pre-COVID. Uh, I don't work with them anymore, but uh, I think the band's still around doing, well, what we're all doing, which is podcasts and lockdowns and all that fun stuff. I know. Well, let's talk about the current band. How did that all form and kind of what all do you guys do? What's the genre? Everything. Yeah. Uh, Saint Yesterday started as a punk band um, mm-hmm. when I was, what, 15 years old. But it sort of changed um, drastically, I would say, as we got better. <laughs> I think you you start off playing punk a lot when, uh, you know, it's easy. It's simple chords. It's something you can go wild and doesn't re- really require a whole lot of practice. But uh it sort of evolved into more of a, a progressive sound, a little more hard rock, a little more pop influenced. And that's sort of where it's taken its shape now. Uh, I think alternative is the best term. You yeah. Know, there used to be a whole genre called alternative rock, but that's sort of been disseminated into different aspects. Now there's a lot of country uh, here. You know, I think of when I think of alternative rock, uh, like stone temple pilots or, um, yeah, you know, the, the Chris Cornell-ish kind of sound, Rage Against the Machine. These to me are alternative rock, but I guess I've heard people consider like uh, Lady Antebellum and Lumineers and, you no know. No way. <laughs> There's no way that can be considered alt-rock. I just, I can't, I can't believe it. No. Well, we, look at, no. we look at the Grammys this year at the, the rock category and there's some interesting nominations for uh, rock artists know. of the year. Well, and I think too, like, cause I'm a huge, like punk rock. Um, like I loved growing up with that. I do a lot of pop music myself. Um, but I grew up like actually starting in rock bands and different stuff like that. So like, I'm a huge, like Stone Temple Pilots, like love that. So just to hear that, but it's, it's interesting that it's kind of phased into its own little morph of a world yeah, that absolutely. not just, um, punk, it's not just rock. It's kind of like this alt pop with, a pop and rock and all the different influences and i kind of like that too um so and like i grew up the evolution of music yeah yeah so i'm glad you guys are like adapting and like just taking this world by storm that's so cool um definitely i'll link everything you guys are doing in the notes and you guys should check it out some cool stuff going on but speaking of like during covid what what all have you guys transitioned to do since obviously it's kind of completely flipped upside down so what's the band doing right now so a lot of what we did prior to uh, COVID was touring. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's a big, uh, big financial aspect to being in a band. But uh, very much so. once you yeah, once you eliminate that revenue, that um, turns into alternative streams. So you start doing things like podcasts, and you do a lot of um, recording sessions virtually because mm-hmm. the studios have uh, limited their their intake of uh, artists. Obviously, there's not a whole lot of going into buildings and getting close with bandmates and stuff. So a lot of virtual uh, writing sessions. I know you'd mentioned you were doing some co-writes on on stuff, kind of, I assume, Zoom call style. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you have to adapt, which, I mean, you're talking about an album. Are you guys working on any kind of new music and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Like, via, like, I keep saying Skype. I don't even use Skype. It's <laughs> Zoom. Uh, <laughs> it sounds so dated. But um, are you guys, like, working on Zoom and working on some new stuff? Yeah, we've got uh, an album that's sort of half done. Uh, we finished tracking all the beds and then COVID hit. So all our tracks are sort of sitting in uh, in hard drives in the studio waiting for us to be able to come back in and finish. Unfortunately, the stuff that we need to finish is stuff we got to be there for. So <laughs> it's, uh, I think, just taking the opportunity to write essentially another album. You know, yeah. why not have a, a good catalog of music so that when uh, things go back to a little more 
normal, we can uh, jump in and just crank out a bunch of music, which I hope a lot of musicians do. I hope to see so many new albums at the end of COVID, right? I do too. And I was telling in the last podcast episode I just did, it's like a lot of times people right now are taking COVID as, well, I got to just sit back. I can't do anything. But I think you're right. It's like write the next album, do the next thing, because then it's kind of like the slingshot. You're pulled back to propel. So take this time to actually do something meaningful. And I love we're talking about your podcast. We keep kind of skirting over it. Let's actually go into. So what is this podcast? What is it about? Oh, uh, I started a podcast with some friends of mine who uh, we've worked in entertainment in different aspects. Uh, mm-hmm. I work with a gentleman named uh, Aaron and uh, Aaron Fuller and Julian Del Grosso. So uh, they're both musicians as well, but uh, they're also great uh, content creators. They're interested in a lot of comedy. And uh, we figured we've done shows in the past, uh, YouTube series, we work together it made sense to kind of do something fun and a little different, you know, doing music all the time is great. Don't get me wrong, but it's nice to have another opportunity to express yourself creatively. So we created a show called I have a hundred dollars. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) It is a bit of a raunchy comedy podcast. Um, you know, we bring a lot of current events into it. Uh, we've done some prank calls. Uh, (laughs) we've, uh, debased ourselves for the entertainment of the people watching uh we also stream it on youtube but it's it's a fun time and you know it's been nice to kind of do a 180 and go the opposite Mm -hmm. direction of music a little bit and just focus on having fun with your friends Uh, we do that out of a a local company here called buzz 505 that uh, produces the the show and Mm -hmm. uh we work with a couple of great companies as well as far as uh uh, some sponsors who help uh, push it out for us but it's a not for everyone. I would definitely say uh, the tagline is not your grandma's show. So I wouldn't, wouldn't watch it uh, in the presence of family or kids. Maybe uh, it's a headphone type thing on the, on the train or on the bus or plane or whatever. But I think it's a, it's a fun time and hopefully people get a, get a chuckle out of watching us. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. I I watched a little bit or watched. I did say I watched, I watched some on your Instagram too. The the studio setup is really cool looking too. So it's just so professionally done, but listening to the episodes, it's just a fun time. Like you said, put head, you know, it just feels like you're listening in on a fun conversation. Uh, So it just feels like a hangout with your friends. So that's really, really cool. And everyone should check that out. But I love that you're doing that during this time and kind of getting something new and different into the mix while we kind of have to pause some music stuff. But be creative, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think people get bored. I couldn't personally think if you're a creative type person, you can't sit at home and do nothing, right? Yeah. You have this this constant drive to need to create something, right? Whether it's by yourself, whether it's with your friends virtually in person, it doesn't matter. You're you're always pushing to be able to create something. Mm-hmm. If you don't, I think, you know, you die. It's just a matter of moving forward all the time. I know that's why I actually put my hand in too many pots during COVID because I'm like, I got to be creative. I got to do a podcast. I got to, I have a company of my own and like doing all this music stuff. And I'm like, wow, I think I'm doing actually more besides the touring part than prior. But you know, it's a musician's game. But I actually want to talk about one thing we were talking about earlier and it's part of my interest. Um, so you were listening to a couple of the podcast episodes and you know, I love diving into music business and different aspects of that. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you're good at is endorsements. Yes. I, let's, let's dive into it. Like that's not my specialty. I'm just going to be honest. I've had sponsorships, but never endorsements. So let's, let's talk about what that entails and how you even go about that. 
Absolutely. So the idea behind an endorsement, when people think of an endorsement, often the first thing they think of is, oh, free stuff. But <laughs> yeah. it's not quite like that. I consider an endorsement like building a relationship with somebody. You're working with a company. Uh, it doesn't matter what company. It doesn't have to be music focused. And truth be told, any industry can benefit from, from endorsement relationships. Um, essentially, what it is, is you're starting to work collaboratively with a company that you like. Mm-hmm. Um, in music, for for example, uh, a guitar player might have an endorsement with a guitar company. So if you're performing a lot with a specific instrument, you really like it, you use it every day and you, you can you know, tell the inside out of the blueprints of the specs of that particular model, it might be the opportunity to approach the company and say, especially if you've got a platform, that's the big thing too, right? If you've got fans or you've got listeners or viewers, it's an opportunity to share that platform, share the company's platform with them, uh, with yourself, sorry, and, and share your platform with the company. So when you're building an endorsement, it's essentially the process of trying to come up with the best way to collaboratively benefit both parties. Uh, free stuff is sometimes there, but I wouldn't really f- I wouldn't really consider it a, an integral part of an endorsement. It's not like, uh, for example, I work with uh, Fender, Fender Guitars. So Fender, uh, we had a deal with them that they had some new products coming out. And uh, they were a new line of guitars at the time. It was the uh, the Performer Series and the Player Series instruments. So there's the, the American Standard Stratocaster, which they rebranded to the American Professional Stratocaster. Uh, and then they also introduced a mid-level uh, Performer Series and then an entry-level Player Series. But they wanted to introduce people to these products. Now, everyone knows the Fender Guitar Company. It's iconic. So really, you don't need to tell people that Fender's a great company. They know it. Why would Fender endorse a band or an artist if they already have the reach? Well, the idea is you're providing them something they don't have, which is uh, experience, like hands-on tactile experience and uh, recommendations to your followers. So for example, my band would be outfitted with uh, player series guitars or performer series guitars. Um, Fender would help us by giving us a a heavy discount. I mean, if you're Taylor Swift, I'm sure they'll just give you guitars, but (laughs) yeah, generally speaking, guitars cost money to make. So they want to give you a deal, but you're still going to end up paying something for them. The, uh, the guitars will come and you're now going to use them when you perform and you're going to talk about them and you're going to get familiar with them. And then when your fans come up and say, Hey, what's that cool looking guitar you've got? It's, it's all gold and sparkly. It looks like a Strat, but I've never seen it before. You go, hey, this is the player series guitar, right? It's great. This is what we use to tour. And it starts to build the, the trust with the company because a company can launch a new product any day. But if it doesn't have people who are willing to utilize it and review it and get hands-on with it, it's really difficult to sell, right? Mm-hmm. People don't always buy a product just because it's a brand name product. They're going to buy it because it's good. So it's important to have relationships with artists and with people to be able to, you know, offer that level of trust because you know that your fans, I assume, like your music and they trust that the equipment you're using is good for what you're doing. So if they had an idea, oh, I want to start a new band. I like Lauren's sound. What's the mic that she's using? Or what? what's that that stand that she has that looks really cool or you know, if you're playing guitar, well, that, that guitar sounds really good. What did you use to record? All these questions you get answered 
if you have an endorsement with a company or if you have a relationship with a company, you know that you can say, hey, as a matter of fact, this is a brand new product from Shure or Fender or Taylor Guitars or whatever. And you can now, you know, really build a, a very personal relationship with that product and your your connection, which the company wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And likewise, big company like Fender or Taylor or Shure, they can put your face on some advertising that they're doing, which is a huge platform boost because how many times you walk into a guitar center or a music store and you see, you know, some famous artist rocking a, a new instrument, right? Yeah. You go, hey, that's kind of cool. Oh, I know that person. That's the type of relationship that you're opening with these companies. And every company is always willing to work with an artist. But I think that's the important part is you have to work. People don't realize that there's not a, a free ticket to, well, I get an endorsement and then I just get to sit at home and the company will send me all this free stuff. Part of it is you're essentially working for the company. You're representing their products and you're you're bringing that product to your fans. So you know, the more you work, the more you're going to get out of it. And I think every company is going to be open to working with an artist who's got that drive to push, right? Yeah. Well, speaking on that, so everyone listening, if you're like, okay, I want to get an endorsement, what is, after you kind of figure out where you want to target, what's kind of your a- approach to even talk to these companies? How do you even approach them? What's so, your tactic on that? There are a couple ways. Um, the easiest is going to be sending an email mm-hmm. because a lot of companies are international. So I'm based in Canada. Um, what that means is if I work with Fender or Taylor uh, in Corona, California or uh, El Cajon, it means that it's going to be tricky for me to just show up at a, an event they're doing or just knock on the door and say, hey, could we talk? Uh, so emails are definitely the name of the game. Or alternatively, another cool in is if you're in the music industry and you're touring and you're playing shows, I can guarantee you at one of your shows, you've passed by somebody involved in the staging or the performance who is an artist with an endorsement. And if you see someone who's got an endorsement, you can go, hey, I really like those guitars. Who should I talk to to open the door? It's, it's You're just trying to make a connection with the company, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of companies have... Uh, public relations departments that you can reach out to. Um, One thing you're going to want to look at, though, is what type of artist are you, right? Are you a studio musician? Are you a performer? Are you an entertainer? Do you tour? Do you uh, do live streaming? What's what's your, your reach and what's your demographic? Because the reality is, if you're in the middle of high school, you haven't finished high school yet, and you bought your first guitar and your friends in high school like your guitar. Is it time for an endorsement? Maybe not. Possibly, but maybe not. So <laughs> yeah. you want to build your your brand a little bit first, right? So make sure that you're you're working actively a lot. One of the questions you're going to probably get asked when you reach out to a company is, uh, how much do you play? How many shows a year do you do? If it's less than 100, well, you know, it might not be beneficial for the company to put a lot of investment in you if you're not, you know, the companies work 365 days a year. So Mm -hmm. you got to try and match that same kind of drive. Bear in mind, we're only like individuals. We can't compete with a a corporate conglomerate. But I think a big thing is you you have to look at your numbers and what you're you're able to push before you reach out to a company. But yeah, emails are definitely the best way I've found um, or building connections. And I know it's kind of cliche. Well, it's who you know, you know, meet people and 
whatnot, but that is kind of the industry, right? No, a lot no. Of the, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I think networking is a huge thing. So I agree with that. Yeah, it's it's a really easy thing to do once you're personable. And I think that's kind of goes without saying. I don't know if you're allowed to swear on your podcast, but it's like don't don't be a dick, right? If you're if you're an idiot and you're an annoying, nasty person, no one's gonna want to work with you. You have to be nice and you have to be able to network and build relationships. So if you're a decent person, oftentimes you'll find people approaching you, right? You may not even have to go looking. Truth be told, if you're on the hunt for an endorsement, it might not be time for an endorsement because often when you get to a certain level, companies will start to take notice of you. People involved in those companies will start to take notice of you and you'll find you'll receive the emails, right? Sometimes you'll get a little Instagram DM going, bling, hey, I work for so-and-so. We're wondering if you'd be interested in doing a podcast or uh, you know, come down and do a performance for us or whatever. It's, it's really part of the more you work in your, your element, the, the bigger and better your, your endorsement prospects are going to be. And maybe don't focus on like the Fender guitar company right away. If you're, you know, working on stuff, I think a great company is Diderio. So this is a company I work with, right? They make accessories, all kinds of stuff. And they work with artists of every level. They don't really do traditional endorsements per se, but you can absolutely build a relationship with them. And you think about it, they don't really need endorsements because everyone already buys their guitar strings, their picks, their capos, they sell everything. Is it necessarily something you're going to benefit them, you know, touting the the beauty of their products or is it going to be more beneficial for them to come out with a new product that you would be able to showcase firsthand, right? Because like I said, especially now in COVID, if you don't have the opportunity to say, go into a guitar center and try something out yourself, maybe you're relying a lot more on the social media and on the internet-based reviews of these products before you buy them. So I think influencers and musicians and artists who are really active online are going to be huge valuable resources because that's what companies want. They want people who have a reach and who are using their products. So maybe aim for small companies first, but definitely send an email. Expect to not hear back. That's kind of the name of the game. Don't take it personally. These companies get hundreds of emails every single day and you know sifting through them all are it's a tedious thing best bet is to you know wait a bit if you don't hear back you know send another email there's nothing wrong with reaching out but always be polite always be nice um if you're in the industry if you work at music stores or if you work with companies it's usually a little bit easier there's a lot of trade shows and conferences you can go to uh in anaheim they have the uh, nam show which is a big meet uh, and greet for a lot of musicians and folks. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to travel to NAM. I got to go right before COVID shut down. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So that was, uh, was that the January show? Yeah, the yeah. January one was the last one I went to. So cool. Tons might of stuff. Have, might have passed you there, actually, then. because uh, might have. I was definitely there. <laughs> we were puttering around. It was, it was a great time, and that's a perfect example of an opportunity to network directly with these companies. Now, NAM can be a little tricky because it's a trade show for industry folks, so you have to have someone who's willing to sponsor you as a guest or give you a pass. I think they have one public day or two public days, like Sunday and Monday or something, but Mm -hmm. the main show is usually on the uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So that's an opportunity to walk up directly. You know, you could meet Paul from Paul Reed Smith Guitars and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? You can meet Bob Taylor or um, 
Andy Powers from Taylor Guitars, the guys who build the guitars, the guys whose names are on these companies. They're just milling around, you know, hanging out. That to me is one of the best opportunities to walk up to the the people in the know who can control these things and say, hey, can we talk shop? And once again, a lot of it comes from being available and being nice, you know, have the reach and be willing to work. Yeah, I definitely missed the opportunity because I got an influencer pass. Influencer cool. pass. Um, but it was one of those I just walked around and milled around. But I, I think I definitely missed around some opportunities. I saw even like some forms about possibly filling out for mm-hmm. endorsements. But at the time, it's one of those you're like, well, if they were to write me back, what would they even want? But I, I did like you were saying they would ask you certain questions. So let's mm-hmm. just say you wrote the email. They're intrigued. What are some follow-up questions or some things that you kind of got to be prepared for? They might ask you, you mentioned like how many shows you do a year. Is there any other kind of things that to kind of quick on the tongue have ready or even have laid out that you can send them that they would maybe ask for? So here's something that may go without saying for most, but uh, unfortunately it's not always the case. (laughs) Um, Make sure you are familiar with the products of the company who you're trying to work with. It's so good though. Some people probably are not. So if you play Fender guitars, talk to Fender guitars, make sure you're familiar with their products. If you're an avid Paul Reed Smith guitar player and Mm -hmm. you want to approach Fender, but you've never played their instruments, maybe it's not the right time, right? Always make sure that you're, you're working on building a relationship, not just trying to make it a one-way street and get something out of it for yourself. So that's the, the big thing. As I said, it might go without saying, but unfortunately that's not always the case. So make sure that you're familiar with those products because you're going to probably get asked, do you use our products? If so, what do you use? And what have you seen? What do you know about us? That kind of stuff. So if you're a human textbook on the company, it's helpful. Um, That along with your, like I said, amount of shows are going to be common things you're going to see. You're probably also going to get the uh, uh, question, how many followers do you have? Not always, because it's not it's not a hard and fast rule that you have to have a huge amount of followers. You know, if you look at like my, my Instagram account, I only have, I don't know, 300 something hundred. I don't even know. I could have two followers. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> the idea is more about having uh, your relationship and having that, that drive. So for me, because I'm connected with enough uh, projects and I have enough of a reach through different things, that's beneficial. Not necessarily me as just an individual, but the fact that I've got reach a big thing that people don't realize, music teachers. If you are a music teacher, if you teach vocal lessons or if you teach guitar lessons or piano or anything where you have a regular uh, rotating door of students, Mm -hmm. that's hugely beneficial for endorsement deals because companies see that you're now influencing the next generation of musician. Where do you think you get your, you know, they say by the time you're 15, you've heard all the music that you're going to really like and latch on to for the rest of your life or something crazy. Like you formed the basis of what your style of music is that you like. I think a very similar thing happens when you're learning how to play, because I think the first instrument that you're introduced to mm-hmm. is going to really shape or the first brand or whatever. It's really going to shape what your bar is that's being set for the next 20, 30 years, right? Because if you get used to playing a guitar that feels like a Fender Strat and then suddenly you pick up, I don't know, I use Paul Reed Smith as an example or a Taylor guitar or a different guitar with a different shape and a different neck, you're probably going to go, oh, this feels weird because you've now gotten used to that first guitar. So when it comes to the idea of being a teacher, it's a big, big portion of influencing the next generation of players and musicians. So 
a lot of teachers don't realize that that's something you can absolutely approach a company with. If you're a teacher and you teach four or five days a week, that's a lot of students you have a reach over. And companies love that because now it's an opportunity to directly skip. You know, you couldn't ask for better advertising. You're skipping every newspaper and billboard and YouTube video, and you're going directly to the source of a teacher to a student. And if a teacher says, when you're learning, this is the best string, you need to use this string, students probably going to go out and buy those strings, right? They're going to say, mom, dad, this is the one that I need. Well, you don't think about that too. And like, for instance, a lot of times people think about teachers within a school system, but there's a lot of people that are doing online learning, vocal lessons online to so you can kind of take that back door if um, even like the social media following and stuff is kind of hindering you or you don't have the networking right now. If you do some other avenues like that, kind of think outside the box. And I like that. It's giving me so many ideas right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. I was going to say, have we missed anything on endorsements? I'm, I'm like eating all this up. So this yeah, all. The, I think the reach is a big thing. But apart from that, it's pretty straightforward. Never approach it saying, hey, what am I going to get for free? Approach it as... What can we do to work together? I'd love to work with your company. How do we go about doing that? Sometimes a company might say, we're not looking for anything at the moment, but you know, let's, let's reconvene in the future or why don't you follow us? And you know, if something comes up, we can talk shop later, but open the door, right? Just, just approach with like anything. If you're going to apply for a job anywhere else, do you walk in and say, I need you to pay me. I don't want to work, <laughs> but I just need you to pay me. No, obviously you go in and you say, Here's my resume. Here's what I do. Here's what I can offer you. You're selling yourself to the company in the sense that why would they want to work with you, right? What what do you have that can benefit the company uh, as far as you know what what your reach and what your grassroots stuff is going to do? And a lot of it is very valuable to even the biggest company. Just having that little uh, following and that little bit of influence or reach. Yeah. No, I mean it definitely does make complete sense kind of research what you already do. Like any, you were even talking about like mic stands that even at the smallest amount, just something that you use every day, figure out what your um, priority is within the realm of the world that you can bring value mm-hmm. to these companies. And then, you know, pitch it like you would a resume. I think that's a great point too. think about if you were trying to get a job, what would make you get that, get that position. So that's awesome. Setting up that email, networking with people, and then also, you know, meeting people outside of like the near ups and the whatnot and seeing that people that already have that in mm-hmm. figure out how they got that in. I love it, that. It's helpful too. I mean, some people might not be willing to share that information. I think most people, I think if you're not willing to network and share that info, I think it's a bit of an insecurity. I think people are afraid that they might lose what they have or something. But the truth is, is there's always room. The, the pie is a huge pie. There's a piece for every single person involved. I think a lot of it's going to come down to your approach. And also, as I said, is as much as the networking helps, it's not everything. And just at least saying, oh, I have a friend, his name's John, say, and he plays Yamaha guitars. Um, John's a great buddy, and he put me on to reaching out to the company. I'd like to talk about maybe working together. Yamaha's got so many different facets of, I mean, they're the only company I know that makes guitars and motorcycles. That's <laughs> That's true. That's a pretty big reach. So there's going to be a place for you in that company just based on what you are and what your your reach is and where your little focus is. You know, we've all got a great little pocket of creativity and a little world and bubble that revolves around our goings on that those companies are interested in. So it's not about being the biggest or most famous person in the world. Doesn't hurt, but yeah. it's more about really pushing what you have and what you can offer. And best case scenario, 
maybe you get a, a cool beanie out of it or oh, yeah. you guys can't see it right now, but he has a really cool Taylor beanie on. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, I love that. You know, little things like that. It's not necessarily anything spectacular, but it's a nice gesture and it just shows that, you know, the relationship is there with the company and, you know, any of these companies that I've worked with and worked for, it's a nice thing to be able to feel less like a product shill and more like someone who's actively connected to it. So I know that if someone asks me about the Taylor Guitar Company or the Fender Guitar Company or Mesa Boogie, I can feel confident because I've used those products for years. I've worked with those companies. It's a really personal thing. And I think finding a good endorsement that you can you know, cultivate relationship-wise for years is the most important thing. And who knows, right? It'll benefit you in weird ways in the future. You'll, you'll turn down the road and maybe one of your students says, hey, my dad's starting a new guitar company and you know, we know that you work with these companies. Do you maybe want to play some of our instruments, right? Just working with these companies will lead to other things eventually. And it's just like playing, tour a lot, perform a lot, meet the promoters, shake the hands, and you'll see that these things sort of propagate into other things. It's like the, what do they call it? The six degrees of Kevin Bacon effect. Yeah. <laughs> where you, yeah. You can be connected to anyone in the world within six people. Um, I think music is closer to two. Yeah. Where you could You could meet someone and within a single connection, they're the person who works with Paul McCartney or, you know, I never thought actually last year, I never thought in a million years I would ever meet uh, Quincy Jones. And then oh. he did a conference at the Avid booth at NAM, and I got to shake his hand as he was walking by and you know, say, thank you so much for your contribution to music. <laughs> and that was mind blowing because that to me is a perfect example of, you know, some kid from Toronto, Canada is suddenly shaking hands with Quincy Jones that simply came about from just, you know, being nice, being available and, you know, making sure that you're, you're always moving forward and pushing yourself to try and find something else and like work, work less for yourself and work more for, for others. If that makes sense, try and see what you can help other people doing. Right. If you see a podcast, you can jump on and, you know, that podcast is going to benefit from your working with it. Do it. If you see a, a, a project, it's, kind of a weird philosophy, but I think that the more that you help other people and the more that you push to elevate other people, the more that's going to benefit you inadvertently. It's always yep, like, yeah, the less selfish you act, the the more it's going to pay off for you. And, you know, I've just seen that through what little career I've, I've worked on and it, it seems to be working for me. So I would definitely recommend it for other people because you never know. Yeah. Music's very small and you know, you do one nice thing for one small company and next thing you know, you've got Taylor Guitars, you know, sending you an email saying, hey, Lauren, we really like your stuff. Maybe you'd be interested in coming down to uh, El Cajon and playing some guitars. Isn't that crazy? And I, th I think that's the thing, too, I'm finding in so many conversations I have. There is really like two degrees for every musician. Everyone knows someone that's somebody kind of thing. And honestly, just being completely kind and compassionate. Some of the biggest things I've ever got has been from opportunities that weren't something I could do, but I referred someone else and they got me a bigger opportunity that they couldn't do. So stuff like that, I think in the industry, being kind, being available, just bringing something to the table, not being so self-centered, I think that will round about in a lot of the different aspects of the music realm. And I like that with endorsements too, that that's kind of bringing that back home. So for anyone listening, think about other people and what you can do for them. 
in all aspects. And I think that's going to put you further in your career because it is a very, very, very small industry and we'll all know each other when we get to the top kind of thing. So we want to like mean, who we're there with. You know what I mean? <laughs> you find that if you have, if you're a virtuoso, you're a, and I'm not going to name names, but I've, I've met plenty of musicians who are incredibly talented, incredibly mm-hmm. talented, but they're assholes. And the problem is it might benefit you right now, but just like every other industry, entertainment's kind of fickle and it's very much a constant wave. There's peaks and there's valleys. And at some points in your career, you're going to be at a peak and it's going to be amazing, but there's going to be other moments where you're going to be in a valley. It doesn't matter if you're the lead guitarist for ACDC or if you're playing in a cover band uh, at your local bar, everyone's going to have different peaks and valleys. And I think if you are positive and nice, and if you really work hard to be, you know, the best version of yourself when you're at your peak, when you're at the valley point, you're going to have people reaching out to help you, right? They're going to lift you up and they're going to try and bring you back to the next peak because they know how you act. If you're not like that and you're at your peak, you can get by for a while, but there always comes that valley. And it's interesting to watch how people react to those sort of fallen virtuosos, right? Once you're no longer in the limelight and it no longer benefits the people around you, <laughs> being an ass doesn't doesn't pay off. And oftentimes that's where you get that that jaded kind of cynical attitude that a lot of these call them washed up uh, yeah. ex ex famous people used to, you know, it, it's something you see a lot. And it's, I, I think, very telling of the industry that some of the nicest people and some of the most successful people are the ones who've always been consistently nice at their peak. I use Dolly Parton as an example. Yeah. Ladies of Saint, right? She's done so much outreach when she's not doing music. And that's something I would aspire to be like where, I mean, last record she put out was a great record, but she's done so much more and evolved so far past just being a musician that I think she'll outlive any record she's put out simply by her humanitarian work and that to me is amazing. She'll live on forever simply because she's really worked hard to make sure that she's that best version of herself at her peak. Yeah. So and I mean, even if you don't love her music, you just love her. Even if you know, you're going to support it either way. You're like, you know what? She's the best. We're going to yeah. support it either way. And I 100%. agree. 100%. As long as, you know, I hope we don't see like a, a canceled uh, Dolly Parton or some Me Too I, stuff come out. It turns out she's know, got a secret dungeon. Wouldn't that be, <laughs> that be crazy? <laughs> Fall from grace. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like she's not going to be like that. But yeah, I agree with that. And I usually ask if they're in the podcast, um, just some advice. But I feel like you've given so much advice on this. And I think a lot of people listening are going to find a whole bunch of resource to it. So I just want to ask instead, what's the future for you? What What do you want the future for you to be like music-wise? Maybe right after COVID, we get our yeah. back. Or, I'd, or, or clear. I'd love to get touring again. That would be yeah. awesome. Um you know, it'd be nice to go back. Uh, I was in California for a while before COVID. And obviously when the whole recall situation happened, everyone battened down the hatches and ended up back in this frozen wasteland that we uh, we call home. Uh, I'd definitely prefer to be back uh, with my friends in the States and, you know, start doing what I, I love doing. You know, the whole reason I, I think I became a musician was to entertain people. It's nice to be able to do it in different avenues, in podcasts or videos or virtual concerts or live streams. But I think, you know, entertaining people as a 
person on a stage and, you know, you do some funny antics or you, you get to enhance their lives that way. I think that's really what drives me. So I hope in some aspect, I get to do that again once things get back to normal and I say normal, but maybe it, it'll just or be a the, new normal. Yeah. The, the evolution of whatever music turns into, I think I'd really look forward to, to going back into that, that world because that's what drives me. Definitely. I miss California too right now. My company's based in California, so I haven't been in months. So I feel yeah, it's it's nice to be there. But I hope yep. all that happens for you too. I'm ready to go back to touring as well. And seriously, anyone listening to this podcast, I hope you got your pen and paper out. Uh, I encourage you to do what he's saying and actually maybe think outside the box. Think about some stuff that you already use constantly and try this year maybe to make that a goal, to get an endorsement, however small, large, and kind of start building on that uh, resume of sort, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. um, and make that happen. Because I think everyone has the potential to do that. And as you can see, there's so many different doors and also just, you know, start being nice to people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, um, seriously, thank you so much for being on. This has been such a great episode. And I think a lot of people are going to ton from this. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. It's always nice to talk, uh, talk music with people who are interested and I think spreading spreading a little positivity and information is always uh, always a good thing. Gives something to you know lighten up the uh, the dark as far as uh, when you're sitting at home in lockdown or whatever. Exactly, and I'm going to put all his links in um, the liner notes, so don't worry about driving. And ooh, is anybody driving and listening? Hopefully not. Uh, and I'll put that in the liner notes, so you guys can check every place that he's at out and the new podcast and your band as well. Um, you're all over the place, so thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Enlightened Musician podcast. Make sure to visit our website, theenlightenedmusician.com, where you can subscribe to the show on your platform of choice so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is Lauren Light. <laughs>